If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to the Crack House Chronicles. I am Donnie, your host, and with me is a man that says all this cold weather is interfering with his flagpole licking. It's Dale. <laughs> What's going on, man? Hey, bud, how are you? I am wonderful. Good, good. It's 2021, bud. I know it. I'm ready. We are back. I was going to say back in the crack. <laughs> we are back in the house. <laughs> yeah. Had a good little vacation, had some Christmas time off, had New Year's off, and Back, yeah, we stretched to, out a little bit further than we wanted to, but here we are, and we're ready to rock. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna kick some ass this year. I think. Yeah, we're gonna do some good stuff. Yeah. All right, bud, you got any shout outs <clears throat> for us? Yeah, I got one. Uh, we'll give a shout out to Heidi Pierce because she said we were rad. Rad. That's it. That's cool. I have never been called rad. Well, you have now. We are rad. What does rad mean? What is that short for? Is that for radical or just? <laughs> I don't rad? know. It's cool, man. We're rad. <laughs> we're rad. We are rad. We get the skateboard out. <laughs> Hang ten, man. Yeah. No, that's, that's surfing, isn't it? Mr. Hand. Yeah. Yeah. We just learned about Cuba and having some food. <laughs> Speaking of, where's old boy? Have you talked to him lately? Our Puerto Rican guy? Yeah. Ben Richardson? Ben. Ben. I hadn't heard from you. I know you're going to listen to this, and I hope you're okay down there in Puerto Rico land. Give us a holler, bud. Yeah, where are you? Ben. Ben. <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I thought, I thought about it another day and started texting, but... I hadn't heard from him, so maybe he'll he'll listen to this. Maybe he'll uh, I'll bet you he'll listen to this and he'll call us. That's right. Yeah, that's good. We miss old Ben. That's it. All right, we better get started. Somebody's gonna cry because we've been talking for two minutes. We ain't started yet. Yeah, that's it. We don't care to do it. Then I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this in here too. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody to <laughs> check us out on whatever platform you listen to, Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review. Give that five star rating and review. Yeah, somebody. I'm like, yeah. Come on, it helps. It really does. <laughs> and check out our store page on our website. Get you some merch, t-shirt, mug, stickers, whatever. Whatever. Yeah, buy something. Help support the crack house. Yeah. Or just throw in some gas money there, click the donate button, and help us out. Whatever you do, we appreciate it. If it's just uh, send us a comment or something nice on YouTube or on our Facebook page or Instagram, uh, we ain't greedy. We like that, too. That's it. All right, Dale, we're going to get into our case this let's, week. Let's roll, Donnie. All right. This is the disappearance of Jennifer Kissy. Kissy. Yeah, and it was a pretty high-profile case back when she disappeared, but we're going to cover it, and and hopefully maybe somebody down the road will listen to us and help find out what happened to this girl. Yeah. Yep. Well, but, it is coming up on anniversary, so it's good to keep, yep. keep her in the news, man. Exactly. She was born Jennifer Joyce Kissy on May the 20th, 1981, and she was born in New Jersey to parents Drew and Joyce right. Kissy. And she has a younger brother named Logan. Logan. Yep. But they moved to Florida sometime when Jennifer was younger. Right. I don't know the exact time, but she spent most of her, her life in Florida. Yeah. And she was a graduate of 
Vivian Gaither High School in Tampa, Florida, and she attended University of Central Florida in Orlando and graduated in 2003 with a degree in finance. Right. And I'd heard that she even was pre-med at one time. Yeah. But changed her major to finance. Yeah, one of her friends said she was really smart, and, and when she decided to, to change her, her major, everybody was kind of shocked, but she she had a plan and knew what she wanted to do, and she was going to make it happen. Yeah, and yeah, like I said, very, very smart because she'd got a job working at Central Florida Investments, and this was a timeshare company in Ocoee, and she was a finance manager. Yeah, she even uh, had interned there and then ended up turning into a full-time job. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they saw her potential. Right. Apparently yeah. so, because she moved up very quick. Yep. Yeah. So. She was making some bank, too, I would say. Yep. Because um, she had uh, bought a condo. Yeah, 200 and something thousand dollar condo. Yeah, 24 years old. Right. So, yeah, she was banking some money. Jennifer moved into her condo at uh, Mosaic Millennium at the end of November 2005. And it was the Building 22, Unit 2226. Correct. And... Dale, this complex was a major undertaking. It was still under construction. Yeah, they were taking, it was actually apartments, and they were taking them and then converting them all into condos. Yeah. Uh, workers coming and going all the time. All the time. Yep. Yeah, I think less than half the units were even done or occupied. And it's been reported that a lot of these workers that were there were illegal aliens. Yeah. And the security there was very lax. Even the gate going into the complex was always open. Yeah, no, they was they did have a guard, but he, and he was supposed to, uh, like, um, keep track of uh, vehicles and tags and this kind of stuff. But they said about seventy five percent. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Yeah, yeah. So that was very lax, really, yeah. for what it should be. Well, good, and even with this major undertaking, you know, it's constantly in and out. I would think. And some of these apartments and condos were vacant, and they allowed some of the workers to stay in them while they were working there. Right. That wasn't good at all. No, it's kind of weird, actually. Now, the weekend before Jennifer vanished, she had vacationed with her boyfriend, Rob Allen, in St. Croix, U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, they wanted to get away for a, a, a short, like a little holiday. And I think uh, her boyfriend knew somebody who uh, had, a, had a place down in St. Croix, so they flew down there. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, a lot of people say they, they went on a cruise, but there was no cruise. They actually flew into St. Croix. Yep. And spent a weekend there. Correct. And while Jennifer was in St. Croix, her younger brother, Logan, and a couple of his friends uh, stayed at her apartment for the weekend. Well, him and another one, then another one came up and just partied with them that weekend and then left. But, uh, yeah, the other guy left. He only lived about 30 minutes up the road. So Yeah, one of them was Travis, and another one was Matt. And they were good friends of Logan's. And Matt is actually an ex-boyfriend of Jennifer. Right. And they dated for a while, but... They broke things off, and I'd heard, too, that he took the breakup pretty hard. Yeah, he, he he wasn't very happy about it. No. And tried really hard to get back with it, but she was done, I think. I don't, I, I don't really know what the the details was, but uh, I'm sure she was she was done with it. Yep, but at the time of Jennifer's disappearance, I think he had moved on and done started dating somebody else. Yeah, he had. Yep. But he still remained friends with uh, Jennifer's brother, Logan. Yeah. Yep, they're getting ready to leave St. Croix or in Rob, and their flight is canceled, and they have to fly into Miami. Yep. And one of Rob's good friends picks them up in Miami and takes them back to Fort Lauderdale. And she stays overnight at Rob's place and then gets up the next morning and drives directly to work. Right. 
which was, uh, I guess, about a two-hour drive. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so she works all day, and then she goes home that evening. She's probably pretty wore out, wasn't she? Yep. And that evening on the way home, she spoke to her parents, and she also spoke to her brother Logan. Right. And he said everything was normal, and she even told him about her trip, and she seemed happy. And she even uh, spoke to Logan's friend, Travis, about shipping his cell phone back to him because he had left it there in her apartment. Yeah, he said he had left his phone and then because uh, he needed it for work and wondered if she could ship it to him. Yeah. and <laughs> That wouldn't fly today, would it? No, uh-uh. Like, no. I'm driving back up there to get my I'm phone. Driving, <laughs> I'm driving three days to get my phone. I mean, that's, that's the way it would be today. Yeah, I think what they lived, uh, it was a couple hours away, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, that night, on this was on Monday, the, January the 23rd, 2006. It was about 10 o'clock p.m. Jennifer called her boyfriend, Rob. Right. And Jennifer told him she was in bed, and she was tired from the vacation and had a long day at work. Right. And they talked briefly. And I'd even heard it. They had a little spat. Discussed in other places that they weren't getting along too well. And one of the reasons was uh, they were wanting to move on, you know, and, and – in, in their relationship but they couldn't decide on who wanted to move in with who neither one of them wanted to move is yeah. what it was they were in a long distance relationship because he lived several hours away and it was kind of one of those things where it worked for a while and they were end up what they would do is uh take turns on the weekends either she would go down there or he would come up to her yeah. place and they'd been doing that you know cause she'd lived there for two months or so and that's what they've been doing but i think they were trying to figure out a way to make it work make it work and Neither one of them really wanted to move, so they had had some kind of little discussion about that. Yeah. And, yeah, it was almost like a little spat, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, probably nothing major. It was just, you know. But they both said they missed each other and were looking forward to the next time they were going to spend time with each other. Right. But I think it ended pretty good. The conversation, according to Rob, ended pretty good. Yeah. Now, on Tuesday, January the 24th, 2006, this was the next day, Jennifer was supposed to have a meeting at work, pretty big meeting, around around 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock, yeah. And she usually gets up and goes, you know, gets to work. It's usually around 7.30 to 7.45 is when she usually leaves work. And this was about 13 miles or 16 minutes driving time, you know. And, but she was going, planning on leaving a little earlier so she could drop that phone off right. and mail it or whatever she needed to do. But she didn't show up to work that day. Nope. Nope. Which is really, 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 really odd for her. Because of her employer said that she was one to be always on time or and always be at work and if she didn't she would call right she was one to let somebody know where she's at and she was very close to her parents and her brother and they always they knew about what she did yes. and where she was at at all times pretty all much. Times. yeah she was very open with them anyway and since jennifer didn't show up at that meeting one of the supervisors that were called her parents well they had called her they tried to call her and, and hadn't heard from nothing and then they called her uh her cell phone and went straight to voicemail which is unusual and called her landline and because she said you know her cell phone didn't work that well at home which kind of like mine so they called her landline couldn't get a hold of her there and when she hadn't showed up three hours later they looked on, on her uh her emergency contact which was her parents number and they decided to call her yes or call her mom it said uh, Jennifer's cell signal there in her apartment condo was even so bad that she could she actually had to go out on the balcony to yeah. talk on the phone. Yeah. Now, on Jennifer's floor, only two out of the four condos were occupied, and her neighbor was not in town. 
Now, Jennifer's dad, Drew, said that every Tuesday, landscapers worked on the condo complex near Jennifer's parking space. And the landscaper said they didn't see Jennifer leaving her apartment and getting into a car, which she did every weekday morning between 7.30 and 7.45. But this particular morning, Rob was running a little late for work, so he called Jennifer on his way to work, but it went straight to voicemail. Yeah, everything's odd. Yeah. And then uh, this is when her dad actually called uh, the condo manager, right? Yeah, he and did. asked him to go down and knock on the door and see if her, her car was in her parking spot. Yep. And her car was not there. It was not in the spot. No. No. So they immediately jumped in their cars. And I think, it, I want to say it was a three-hour drive, but it could be awful on that. But they immediately jumped in their car to, to go see what was going on because they knew something was They something knew something was, was up. Yeah. Yeah. And... They get there and... It was a two-hour drive, I'm sorry. Two-hour drive to Jennifer's apartment from where they lived. Yes. Yeah, okay. I think they lived in Bradenton, Florida. And around 3 p.m. while driving to Orlando, Jennifer's mother called the condominium complex and asked if they could send some management or something to check out Jennifer's condo, you know, to be able to go in there. Right. And two condo managers went over to Jennifer's place, and Jennifer's car was not in her space. And the management entered Jennifer's condo, and the door had been locked, and nothing was disturbed. Right. That's what they told uh, Jennifer's mother, Joyce. Yeah, and I think uh, her brother and his friend showed up right around 3 o'clock, and then uh, they got there around 3.15, she said. Yeah. So, so they, they was hammered down. Yeah, <laughs> they were getting there to find out. And when they get in there to Jennifer's apartment, uh, there was nothing seemed out of place in her condo. The makeup, her makeup was on the counter, her hair dryer, what Jennifer wore to bed that night was on the bathroom floor. The bed was not made, and a couple of her outfits were laid on the bed, right. which she normally did. She put out outfits. Yeah, she said that uh, her mom had said that she had talked to her about these shoes that she was going to wear the, the next day that she was looking forward to wearing. Nine and, West. Yes. And uh, she said that uh, those those outfits would have matched those shoes. So apparently, she had a third one, I guess, that she finally decided to go with. Yeah. But everything else looked pretty ordinary. They said, you know what, there was a, it was a wet towel, like where she had taken a shower. So it was like a damp towel. And then even though she, her mom even had went in and checked, it looked in the shower to see, and there was like some water puddled up behind the shampoo bottles and stuff. So it looked like she had taken a shower that morning. And mm-hmm. she said that she definitely was a, a morning shower girl before she goes to work. Yeah. You know, instead of a, take it at night. Mm-hmm. But, so everything seemed to be up and up. And there seemed to be no signs of forced entry, no sign of struggle. No, nothing. And Jennifer's luggage was still in the front hall from her trip. And since she got home and then drove straight from Rob's to work, when she got home, she probably just dropped it in the hallway. It's like, the hell, I'm tired. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So everything looked like she had got up and got ready to go to work. And the only things that was missing was her cell phone, her keys, and like her, uh, her briefcase that she took to work. Yeah. And I think she had an iPod that was missing, too. And her iPod. Yep. And, but on the counter, they found uh, her pepper spray. Yeah. and Which was kind of odd. But then they, they didn't think it was too odd because they realized or thought that maybe she couldn't take it on the plane. Right. So she probably took it off her key ring and then just had to put it back on. Just left it at the department so she wouldn't have to go through a hassle at the airport with the pepper spray. Correct. Yep. Now, shortly after this, Jennifer's parents notify the police after not finding her there at her, at her apartment. And the deputies even said that she probably had a meltdown or a fight with her boyfriend, and she'll be back. Right. Just blew it off. And they just left. And 
somewhere around 5 p.m., the construction workers there at the Mosaic Millennium finished their work for the day, and they left. But see, Jennifer's parents, Joyce and Drew, they got into action quick. Oh, yeah. By 5 o'clock, from like 5 to 7, you know, they was already out. They had already made flyers and pushing, distributing flyers around and looking as if you'd seen this girl. And yeah. They were they were on the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, these this people, are, her parents are go-getters. Yes. And the detectives checked for activity on her ATM card and pinged her cell phone to try to find this location. There was no response. Nothing. Mm-hmm. Police Sergeant Roger Brennan says they entered her into a system of missing persons and issued an alert for both Jennifer and her car. And they issued a BOLO report around 9 p.m. And police could not search all of Jennifer's unit's complex because they were many of them were privately owned. Right. Now, the next morning, January the 25th, it was rumored that half of the Mosaic Millennium work crew disappeared in the days after Jennifer's disappearance well i'm sure with the, the strong police presence i'm sure a lot of them didn't want to go to work and this is a per a comment by jennifer's dad drew in an in a interview he gave yeah. that a lot of these workers had just disappeared on thursday this was two days later january the 26th around 8 10 p.m there's another apartment complex which is about a mile mile and a half away called huntington on the green yeah and there was a woman there that noticed jennifer's car in the parking lot after seeing it on the news and called the police. Right, and this is a pretty shady... Yeah, it's not a great place. This is not nowhere near where she lived. No. I mean, it's near distance-wise, but it's a pretty shady uh, complex. Like but so. just keep in mind, this whole area is still kind of shady, and they're, they're trying to turn it around and make something nice out of it. Right. So, but like Dale said, this, you know, where they found her car was... Not a nice part of town. Well, they said, you know, there's a lot of drug activity, and then it always found it was a place a lot of people dropped off stolen cars and just that kind of activity going on around this place. Yeah. And they did notice the amount of gas that was in Jennifer's car. Yeah, which is kind of weird to me. But yeah, it seemed to indicate that her, her car wasn't driven very far at all. Right. They just, uh, well, basically they figured up if she filled it up before she left Rob's Monday. Yeah. And then drove all the way home into work then back home and then just said and then just uh try to figure out how much gas would be left try to figure out how how far the car had traveled since then yeah and jennifer's car was a 2004 chevy malibu black yep yep black in color but when they found her car the doors were locked and the keys were not found right and jennifer had a dvd player that was found in the back seat and it was unknown whether she had it in her car for some reason, but already detectives, you know, didn't think it was any kind of robbery or no. what anything heard, like that. I'd heard Rob had given it to her, and she said had it strapped in the back, in the seat belt in the back seat. So, mm. so I'm assuming she had just left it in there from from when he had given it to her and didn't ever take it in the house. Yep. So, pretty much shows that robbery is not a motive here in this. Yep. Because nothing was missing from her house, and then this stuff still in her car. Yeah. Now, when they did find the car, they did call Rob. Yeah. And they had Rob come up. Yeah, right before they opened the car. Yeah, which is weird to me. Well, I think I've heard, too, they wanted to see his reaction in case they found something. Right. So, I guess, I mean, you know, call him up, and I'm like, he he said he was stumbling because he was rolling because he didn't know. You know, he just called and said, hey, we found our car, and he's like, okay, good, and he's like, can you come up? 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But uh, that's what it was. I guess they wanted to see his reaction when they opened the trunk. But, hell, can you imagine if she was in there and you didn't have nothing to do with it? Yeah. I mean, and plus, I guess they could question him right there without giving him time to think up some answers or something if he had done it. But, yeah. But it's still kind of odd to me that they would call him out there to, hey, watch this to me. <laughs> yeah, they wanted to see his reaction whether she was in there or whether she wasn't. Right. They wanted just to see him. See what he there's a I guess his old demeanor around the car. I guess he ain't doing nothing else. <laughs> I guess, man. That's that's some crazy law for but I get it. I mean I get that that you know want to see his reaction, especially if she's in there. Right, but she wasn't. No. So. No sign of Jennifer's spoiler alert. The law enforcement did do a door to door knock and talk with people. And didn't find anything. Nobody seen anything. And they did track with some bloodhounds from Jennifer's car to Huntington on the green. Now this is pretty wild yeah well from huntington on the green to mosaic millennium yeah which is a mile, little over a mile away but it's it's kind of tricky because uh the bloodhound follows the trail out of the car and then i guess down the road and down the sidewalk but then it cuts through a hole in the fence yeah which is to me is a, a telltale sign of what's going on here Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. It, it didn't go up, and it didn't go through the gate, and it didn't go through any other normal entryway. There was just a place in the fence, and I'm assuming not everybody would know about. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen a picture of this. I don't know how big the hole in the fence was. I don't know if it was part of the fence missing or if it was like a you know, piece of it leaned back or what. But mm-hmm. to me, it sounds like it's it would be something that not not everyone would know about. Yeah. And it said the bloodhound entered the grounds, and the the dog picked up scent inside the fence and went directly to the staircase, leading to Jennifer's second floor condominium. Right. And it was another note, another report. That and then said, it stopped right there, right? Yep. Yep. And there was another report said the scent led to Jennifer's parking spot. Yeah. Um, either way, it was right there at her apartment complex. Yeah. It picked up a scent of her. And to me, which is guesswork, but to me, it sounds like. Somebody walked back and then got in their car and left mm-hmm. or something. I don't know. They did uh, find some uh, video footage. Yeah, they did. And this was the mm-hmm. video footage from Huntington on the Green. Right. And this shows – we're going to have pictures of this, Dale. It's crazy as shit. This is the craziest thing of this whole case. The it's, morning, it's basically the only piece of evidence they have. Exactly. And there's so many unknowns to this case, but – they have still images of a person who dropped Jennifer's car off at the Huntington on the Green. And we've heard this before, but this has got to be the luckiest person alive. They need to buy the lottery ticket. <laughs> yeah. Because it, you have to look at the pictures, and we'll post pictures of this. But well, it's actually a video, but the, the camera only uh, took shots every few seconds. Every three seconds. Yeah, it wasn't like a full flow of video. So go ahead. Yeah, it took a photographs every three seconds gotta remember this is 2006 and this is analog tape so yeah and it shows a image of a person but every time the the photo is snapped their face is hidden behind a fence post right well the the video shows the car coming in and the car pulling into the parking spot mm-hmm. her car yep and then backing up a little bit and straightening up a little bit and then i think he said he sits in the car approximately 32 seconds I'm sure he's wiping it down. Yeah, that's what I was fixing to say. And then uh, he gets out of the car, and then just while he walks by, and it's a pool gate. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, 
the fence, uh, like the spindles are, you know, there's like thin ones and then you have the the thicker poles, you know, in between all the thin ones, the, the main, the main poles. Yep. And goes around, goes around the pool and he just gets out of the car and then nonchalant just walks, just walks off, never looks back. But, but damn, every, what did you say, three seconds? Every three every seconds. Every three seconds, his face is behind one of those big poles. Those big, thick poles. It's the damnedest thing you ever seen. Yep. Yep. That's, yeah, he's got to be He's got to be lucky. And they even, they even got NASA involved to try to be able to clear it up a little bit. Clear it up, and they, they have no clue. Right. And they said that, uh, you know, that uh, this this tape was really a, is an older tape, and it's well, like I said, analog. So they would probably just tape over it and then tape over it and tape over it. So yeah. the grainy quality is not going to get any better than what they had. And it looks like a black and white image. Oh yeah, definitely. But the image of the person looks like they have a bun in the back of their head, you know, like a, their hair pulled up. Right. And I look at it sometimes, and it almost looks like a female. And sometimes it, you know, it looks like a male from the the clothes they're wearing like a like a worker's uniform type right. thing and it could be a bun or it could be a ponytail pulled up could be a hat it's hard to tell because you can't see much of their head at all yeah so but that's that's really the only thing that if they got anything else they're not sharing it no and you know all they got the forensic examination of the car all they got was uh one latent print and a small dna fiber and that was it yeah and yeah. it hadn't matched up to anybody. To and get this done. They didn't they didn't process the apartment at all. No. And they haven't to this day. <laughs> so they never did process the apartment and, for, for anything. And they let the car go back because it was under lease. Yeah. So um, so they can't I don't know. Yeah. They should have they should have bought that car right. and kept it indefinitely. And kept so, that apartment. Yeah, so they can't go in back and uh, and redo anything with new technology or anything because mm. the car is gone. There's no telling where it is. No, no, nothing at all. Yeah, they didn't find anything in the in the car. You know, her not her, her phone or her iPod or keys, all that stuff. Nothing. I mean, nothing's ever been found. No. Now it is kind of weird that they said that uh, they couldn't ping the kid the the cell phone they said they got some weird pings the night before but they were saying that the phone they thought the phones had been powered down and the batteries taken out that's what they said yeah how in the hell do they know that because that bugs me yeah i mean is there i don't, I don't understand the 2006 technology <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean and then you could take the batteries out oh yeah yeah i remember having one i could take the batteries out but i can't i don't know how they would know yeah you know, and they said that it did ping the night before, but it was off of a weird tower. And then they turned around and said, well, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. There was some confusion to me on this mm-hmm. pinging stuff. But they oh, yeah, they kept going back to saying that the, the phones, the one Logan's friend left and hers, both had been powered off and the batteries taken out. Yep. But I don't know how they know that. I'm, I almost want to call bullshit on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Now, just keep in mind, too, that like we said earlier, there were a lot of illegal aliens working in this apartment complex, remodeling and building and doing construction work there. And Jennifer even reported saying to her mom and dad that she'd be out on the phone talking to her parents or, you know, just walking back to her apartment and she would get catcalls. Yeah. You know, they would holler at her. Or they would just all stop working and watch. Yeah. Really creeping her out. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awful. You have to put up with that in your own home. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's not good at all. And it was also said that the apartment right across from hers was occupied by some of these workers. Mm-hmm. Up to 10 at one time, I heard. Yeah. Now, who knows, but. Yeah, they said they were watching her. And, but I think uh, Jennifer's boyfriend, Rob, was ruled out as a suspect right away because he, he had an alibi. He was at work. Yeah, in a long way away. Yeah. Yeah, so. And Jennifer's ex-boyfriend, the the one that was friend with uh, Logan, his name was Matt, he was ruled out too. Well, he's still kind of, to me, I don't know, because they're saying that the night that she disappeared, he was at the, the Blue Martini, which was a bar right across the street from where her condos is. Mm-hmm. Now, they said he was really drunk, so I don't know that he could have done anything, but he lived over 30 minutes away so mm-hmm. i don't know why he would be there partying i mean i did hear that that's a really popular bar so maybe that's why but you yeah know, you know how uh drunks and exes go it and so you don't mix it don't mix too well <laughs> but yeah i don't i don't really think he is a, a keen suspect you know but i guess there's a possibility there yeah i don't know what they could have done and they did uh do polygraph tests on several people and Jennifer's brother Logan took a polygraph test. Yeah. I think the boyfriend actually offered up one, but they didn't, they didn't take it. <laughs> no, even uh, Jennifer's dad offered to take up one just to, you know, clear people, just clear him so they can focus on other things. Right. You know, even though they were, you know, many, many miles away, um, just to move the process forward. Right. Now, police, announced in a news conference that a person of interest this was on february the 21st 2006 uh between five foot three and five foot five this is the person that was in the the photograph yeah going walking through the pool area right and said the fbi had came in and they'd done a lot of experiments by having people walk that same uh same stretch of ground there and and using people of different heights and measuring them against uh with the poles and the in the the same gate and the, the same brush and the backgrounds and stuff and yeah. trying to figure out kind of how at least how tall he was so yeah. that's where they get these numbers from what did you say five three to five five they thought yeah, yeah and they're still not specifying a gender because of the information in the photographs is not specific enough right and then again her dad did say somewhere else that the that them that five foot three to five foot five could actually be off that other people had said as much as five foot eleven yeah so, I'm looking between five and six feet now, so. That could be anybody. Yeah. Yeah. And who's to say he wasn't in, or that person wasn't in disguise or had something on or. Right. And, you know, say the clothes is baggy and it looks kind of like uh, something somebody would wear if they were a painter or a drywall, you know, but the, I think her mother said that they talked about that and then saying that since that tape was so, was so bad that it really, it, it bleached out almost what anybody was wearing so mm-hmm. it's really kind of hard to tell if he actually was wearing something like it was white like a, a painter's you know uniform or something but kind of looks like it to me in the picture but yeah you know i don't know how how bleached out it can make anything but you can tell that his shirt is actually lighter than his pants and he's got looks like black shoes on but the, some pretty big feet <laughs> yeah it looked like it was large feet yeah now, just a little bit about Jennifer. She did have a four-leaf clover tattoo on her left hip, which is about the size of a quarter. They released this photograph of her tattoo on April 3rd, 2008, and a photograph of a brown purse that she believed to be carrying when she was abducted. So this is two years later. This is, yeah, this was up two years later. Now, May of 2007, you know, the, the, 
the guy that owned the company where she worked offered up a million dollar reward. Yeah, David Siegel. Yeah, and you know that was the leading to the her whereabouts, but she had to be alive. Yeah, stipulation for for you to get the million bucks. Yeah, but nothing never came of that. Nope, nothing. So really, this whole story, you know, from time she got home, went to work, came home, well, time she left work really is the last we know. Yep. And then to find the car and see the video, that's not much help at all. And that's about that's about the whole extent of everything we know, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. There, there's so much. You can go down so many rabbit holes on this thing. Yeah. And there's so many theories. But that's pretty much it. I think there was one or two guys at work that was interested in her. And she didn't want to have nothing to do with work dating anybody at work. And even had asked her dad about what to do. And he told her you know just to have lunch with him at work and explained it you you just don't do this yeah. and then plus the guy was married but he was still trying to pursue her mm-hmm. so that's just another apple on the card i guess as far as who it could have been because i did hear that this company had some uh, warehouses somewhere around that other uh those other condos mm-hmm or I guess they weren't condos, were they? The they were apartments. Huntington on the Green. They yeah, were, they were Huntington apartment. on the Green. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. So I guess you can make up your own um, hit list as far as who's on it and who ain't. But to me, my money's on the construction guys. Yeah, I, that's what I would say. And Jennifer's parents, I mean, Dale, they, Drew and Joyce, they are so involved with finding out what happened to her daughter, where she's at. They have uh, they have a Facebook page, Find Jennifer Kessie. They have a Twitter page, and they are constantly posting stuff on there. Yes. Uh, keeping it up to date. They are adamant to find out what happened to, to their daughter. Yeah. And I think Drew's pretty much, he's come to terms that he don't think she's he's she's with us anymore, but he still wants to bring her home. Yeah. You know, and I just heard him say that in a, in a press conference, and he goes, and he goes, I'm sure some of my family don't want to hear this, but I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty content with believing this, but I still want to bring my girl home. Yeah. And I think the last search – for Jennifer took place in February of 2014, and but the investigators continue to receive and pursue leads all the time. And I think now, finally, didn't they? Uh, they sued Orlando Police Department, right? They did. And uh, to because they, they kept trying to get them to turn it into a cold case because they wouldn't release any information, so they could get all the files. Yeah. And they said, you know, there's a lot of help, you know, now for cold cases and stuff. And they wanted the files and want to go through stuff because mm-hmm. they wouldn't tell them anything. And I think they finally they got a new sheriff in, and he agreed. New sheriff in town. You know what they had? They had basically had to say that. Then okay, we're done with it. You have to say, you know, that the sheriff's department's done with it, and you have to pay. What was it? It was a a lot of money for a ton of money for the, the copying of the papers. Yeah. But they do, and then I think they hired their own. Uh, detectives after that mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot going on and then there's nothing we know about anything there's a whole lot of there's a lot of theories yeah i mean human trafficking uh workplace relationships like we talked about right i mean it, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down and we could go down them but it, they're just all theories yeah and that's just we just wanted to give basically the the gist of it and keep her name in news and it's coming up on her anniversary and we just wish they could find her yeah. find some answers exactly and there's uh there's plenty of places you can go if you want to you can you can dig as deep as you want to dig on this one yeah there's a lot of information on jennifer kessie 
except for where she is. Exactly. Which is pretty sad. Yep. All right, Dale. All right, man. We're going to get out of here. Well, that's one down for the year and uh, a lot more to go. We'll pick up from here. This is a pretty good one. We just wanted to get this one out in time for the anniversary, and next week we'll hit on something different. That's it. Might hit on a local case. Yeah. All right. We're going to get out of here. All right, Bob. We want everyone to be safe, be careful, and always be aware of your surroundings. Because the next episode could be about you. This is the Crack House Chronicles. Chronicles.